bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, July 14th, 2020. I hope that you and your family are safe and well. We have another great episode for you this week starting with a proposal from presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders to make significant investments in affordable housing, renewable energy, and community development. Plus, there's a recommendation to expand and make permanent the new markets tax credit. I'm also going to share highlights from last week's Novogratic Affordable Housing Friday Forum. Our esteemed panelists discussed debt and equity trends. If you've been wondering how the pandemic has affected low-income housing tax credit lending and investments, I'll have those updates for you. And I'll talk about specific pricing ranges for credits and about which types of investments are most likely to be funded most quickly. Also last week, the House Transportation HUD Committee approved nearly $76 billion in funding for fiscal year 2021, which includes important sources of gap financing for affordable housing development. I'll briefly outline the budget and I'll share where you can learn more about funding levels for various programs and funds within HUD. After that, I'm going to discuss some exciting news about funding for state historic tax credits in both Mississippi and Delaware. So, if you're ready, let's get started. Former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders several months ago formed a task force, this after Sanders suspended his presidential campaign. The Biden-Sanders task force last week jointly released a set of policy recommendations. The policy blueprint outlines priorities of the Biden administration, assuming Biden wins the presidential election in November. The policy outline addresses topics from economic recovery to universal health care. There are also key affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy sections that are of particular relevance to our listeners. Now, for one, the framework calls for expanding and making permanent the new market's tax credit. As you likely know, the new market tax credit is scheduled to expire at the end of this year, so the clock is ticking for an extension. Now, the Biden Sanders Task Force also calls for doubling funding for community development financial institutions, or CDFIs. Now, on the affordable housing front, the task force recommends fully funding Section 8 vouchers and expanding investment in the National Housing Trust Fund, as well as investing in rehabilitating public housing, among many proposals. Now, the task force also calls for robust investment in renewable energy. Now, as the election draws nearer, I'll continue to share policy priorities from the candidates as they relate to affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy. Now, I should also note that before these task force recommendations were released, Biden's campaign had already made a commitment to expand the local housing tax credit by at least $10 billion, this among other housing policy commitments. In the meantime, you can find the Biden-Sanders policy document on the Novogratik website. I'll also tweet out the link. This past Friday, Novogratik hosted the second of three Affordable Housing Friday forums. Our third Friday forum will be this Friday. Now, these forums are a series of virtual events, with each forum focusing on a different topic that affects low-income housing tax credit financing, development, and compliance. 
The first Friday Forum was held on June 23rd and focused on the outlook of low-income housing tax rate legislation this year and potentially next year. We also featured a panel of HUD multifamily officials describing the COVID-19 response and plans for future guidance. Now, last Friday's forum provided an update on low-income housing tax credit, equity, and debt markets, particularly how each has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. During our equity session of the forum, our panelists discussed how their initial expectations for the equity market in 2020 compare to what they're seeing now. Across the board, our syndicator panelists went into 2020 optimistic that this would be a largely positive year for low-income housing tax credit investment. And some investors do continue to lean in to the low-income housing tax credit because the tax credit is still considered a stable and profitable asset class. However, COVID-19 has had an impact. Some of the larger banks investing directly in low-income housing tax credit developments are holding off on new investments for now. Now, COVID-19 plays in, but also one of the reasons is that many bank investors are waiting to see what happens with the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency's new final rule on the Committee Reinvestment Act or CRA regulations. Now, the CRA has historically been a significant incentive for banks to invest in low-income housing tax credits and other tax incentives. Recent changes, though, to the CRA regulations de-emphasize these types of equity investments. And... As a consequence, many bank investors are waiting to see what happens with the presidential election. The expectation is that if there is a change in administration, then the OCC's final rule would likely be revoked. Bank investors, though, are not the only ones pulling back a bit on low-income housing tax credit investments. Many economic investors, such as life insurance companies, are also taking a pause. Insurance companies have generally seen a decrease in premiums since the pandemic, and insurance companies with fewer premiums, have lower tax liability. Lower tax liability will then mean diminished demand for tax credits. And there is a more human factor also affecting the slowdown in investor demand, the availability of human capital. This means there's a reduced capacity to process and manage new investments among many investors. The panelists also mentioned or noted that many banks have been processing Paycheck Protection Program loans as part of pandemic relief. As of last Thursday, July 9th, Nearly 5,500 lenders have processed nearly 4.9 million PPP loans. Panelists say that this participation in PPP lending has further put a strain on human capital and a bank's capacities. Now, the silver lining here is that although there is a general pause or weakening in the equity market, panelists have not observed any investors leaving the market. Some investors have reached their capacity for 2020 and are asking syndicators about potential investments in 2021. So you may be wondering, what kinds of transactions are being funded right now? Or what types of funds are investors investing in? The panelists said that most of the deals at the property level that are flowing are ones being funded through multi-investor funds. And what that means for developers is more volatile pricing. For example, a transaction that otherwise might have fetched $1.03 per credit in a direct investment from a bank that had high CRA needs might now end up in a syndicated channel where the price per credit could be about $0.92, an $0.11 drop. Panelists also said that pricing typically ranges from $0.82 to $1.02 per credit. That's a pretty wide range, but transactions that command a dollar or more per credit are much rarer than they were last year. Now, 9% low-income transactions tend to have a tighter pricing range, 
with the majority falling in the high 80 cent range. 4% transactions, on the other hand, tend to be in the mid 80 cent range, but they have a wider range from the low 80s to the low 90s. Now, for our listeners who are housing sponsors, you're probably wondering what kind of transactions are commanding the best prices right now. The panelists said that more and more demand for equity investments is tied to lending opportunities. And location is still a top factor. Community reinvestment considerations, deal types, and underwriting terms are other major factors that affect pricing. The panelists observed that the size of a transaction can play a significant role in funding availability. Many transactions are being funded in the $5 million to $15 million range by multi-investor funds in certain high-cost markets, especially on the coast. But if you're looking for $25 million to $75 million or more for a single development, the panelists said to keep in mind that those transactions will likely be too big for syndicated deals. And there are only so many proprietary fund placements that will handle a transaction of that size. What that means is for larger developments, credit pricing will be a little bit lower than average, and you may have to bring in multiple investors. Now, another topic discussed was how COVID has affected underwriting. If you're a sponsor or syndicator, then investors want to know how you, as a sponsor or syndicator, are making sure that everything's going to go according to schedule during the pandemic, and if not, you're prepared for potential delays. So let me ask you, a listener, do you have a plan for your delays, potential delays? Do you have a built-in timeline cushion for your place and service date? If not, you should. Now, investors also, according to the panelists, want to know that sponsors have a COVID-19 safety plan and that the general contractor and property manager are on the same page when it comes to health and safety precautions. There are particular concerns about keeping vulnerable populations, such as seniors, safe during acquisition rehab developments. So this is a recap of our equity panel discussion. Now, the Friday Forum also had a separate panel to discuss debt market trends. Our debt panelists said that while COVID-19 considerations continue to be a top concern, borrowing rates still favor borrowers. Our panelists reported rates from the low 3% range to breaching the 4% threshold. For immediate funding transactions, rates are about 3 to 3.25% for a standard 16 to 17-year loan from agencies. Freddie Mac they noted, adds about 35 to 50 basis points for borrowers on top of that. And Fannie Mae is closer to the immediate funding deals or slightly lower. Now, on the Federal Housing Administration side, pricing sits in the mid to high 2% range for 223F loans. You can also add about 50 basis points for new construction loans. The standard 10-year loan, they noted, depending on the the size and and the credit worthiness, are usually priced in the mid to high 2% range. Now, if you have any questions about your debt and equity options for your local housing tax credit transactions, I'd encourage you to contact the Novogratic office to see how we may be able to be of assistance. In addition to our debt and equity panels, we offered a bonus session on the future of affordable housing in California. My partner, Thomas Stagg, moderated that discussion, and the discussion was with Tia Boltman-Patterson, who's the executive director of the California Housing Finance Agency, or Cal HFA, and Judith Blackwell, who's the executive director for both the California Tax Allocation Committee and the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee. 
Now, the panelists discussed how, year-to-date, California has already financed more new construction housing units than they did in the entirety of 2019. Panelists attributed that activity to the availability of soft funding from Cal HFA, such as the Moderate Income Program, commonly referred to as MIP, and to the $500 million of additional state low-income housing tax credits that were authorized beginning this year. $200 million of that total was set aside for the Mixed Income Program, which is administered by Cal HFA. Another bit of good news from the panel is that there have been zero Cal HFA loans in forbearance, despite the COVID-19 pandemic. Tia Boatman-Patterson attributes that fact to the quality of Cal HFA's development partners and strong underwriting requirements. Now, Judith Blackwell also shared a recent update from the Task Allocation Committee. She said that for the $980 million in federal disaster tax credits available in California, demand exceeded supply by nearly 2.5 times. Applications for the disaster tax credits were due July 1st, and the Tax Allocation Committee is in the process of reviewing those applications. And speaking of applications, Executive Director Blackwell said she anticipates bond applications will be highly competitive in both the final funding round of this year and in 2021. As always, Novogratik is available to assist you with reviewing and preparing your application. So if you're applying for bond allocation, please contact Novogratik. As I noted earlier, the next Affordable Housing Friday Forum is this Friday, July 17th. Low-income housing tax credit development sponsors, owners, and property managers will be particularly interested in this upcoming forum. The discussion topics include COVID-19 LIHTC compliance issues and underwriting issues for multifamily properties during COVID-19. I invite you to register for this week's Friday Forum today. I'll include a registration link in today's show notes, and I'll tweet out the link as well. Next, I have some good news for the affordable housing community. The House Subcommittee on Transportation and HUD last Wednesday approved a fiscal year 2021 spending bill that includes a one-time special investment of $49 billion for HUD programs. That's on top of regular HUD appropriations. This additional $49 billion essentially doubles the HUD budget for fiscal year 2021. Now, this was something that happened in the House, and the additional $49 billion is very unlikely to be adopted by the Senate. The additional amount, though, does represent key HUD priorities for the House Transportation HUD Appropriations Subcommittee Democrats. You can read a summary of the spending bill on the Notes of Novogratic blog. I'll include a link to the blog post in today's show notes. Now, I have two exciting updates on state-level historic tax credits. First up, Mississippi. Last week, Tuesday to be exact, Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves signed HB 1729 into law. This legislation extends the state historic tax credit from the sunset date of 2020 to 2030, 10 years, and expands the credit cap to $180 million. For those of you interested in the Mississippi Historic Tax Credit, the bill does make a couple of changes you should note. One change is the bill allows a taxpayer the option to choose a rebate of 75% of the credit in lieu of a 10-year carry forward. The second change to note is that there's a priority for taxpayers who are issued a certificate of eligibility for the state historic tax credit before July 1, 2020, but did not receive the credit due to the aggregate tax credit cap. 
Now, the other exciting state level update is from Delaware. The Delaware state budget that was signed into law provides a one-year extension to fund the state's store tax credit through the year 2026. And the state budget funds the Delaware store tax credit at $8 million annually from 2021 through 2026. Now, I will include a link to the Mississippi and Delaware legislation in today's show notes. And if you have any questions about applying for the Mississippi or Delaware state historic tax credits or state tax credits in other areas, please reach out to a Novogratz office near you. Also, the September issue of Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits will focus on state and federal historic tax credits. So make sure you subscribe to the journal to get access to these articles. I'll include a link to subscribe to the journal in today's show notes. Well, that brings it to the end of this week's report, but I do have something else exciting to share. I hope that I'll see many of you tomorrow at the Novogratic 2020 Opportunity Zones Virtual Conference. We have a very special keynote address from Senator Tim Scott, author of the original Opportunity Zones legislation. We're also going to hear from Daniel Kowalski, counselor to Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. Mr. Kowalski has been instrumental informing and releasing Opportunity Zones guidance. Also, I'll moderate a Washington Report panel with HUD Deputy Chief of Staff Alfonso Costa Jr., Emily Lavery from the office of Senator Tim Scott, and Chad Mazel from the office of Senator Cory Booker. We have many more panels filled with other distinguished speakers, including a closing session with representatives from the Internal Revenue Service. I encourage you to register for tomorrow's conference today. That's the best way to ensure you secure your spot and avoid any delays with same-day registration. For those of you who are not able to attend our virtual conference tomorrow, we will have a recording of the conference available for purchase at www.novico.com events. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novico.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novico.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.